Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. I have Brother Joshua assisting me today. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson will be The Power of Obedience, brothers and sisters. The Power of Obedience. This will be the first part of a two-part series, brothers and sisters. Um, and we're going to start with the obedience. And then we'll follow that up with the disobedience. As we'll learn today, brothers and sisters, there is a power that comes with submission. There's a power that comes with obedience, brothers and sisters. And it's multifaceted, brothers and sisters. So we will go into the scriptures. We have a litany of precepts, brothers and sisters, that will show you what are the benefits. Yes, there are many laws in the Bible, but there's benefits that come with it. Brothers and sisters, let us show you. Let's go to First Peter, uh, the second chapter, the ninth verse. First Peter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Brothers and sisters, examine the first part. What did that say, brother? But ye are a chosen generation. Chosen, brothers and sisters. So Peter commonly uses this terminology in reference to the children of Israel. A royal priesthood. A what, brother? A royal priesthood and holy nation. Now look at that. So this choosing is a work totally of God's grace and unmerited favor. It's not because we're something special, brothers and sisters. This is only by the Most High's grace. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. A what, brother? A peculiar people. Among those of the earth, there are people who are radically different, brothers and sisters. And it is the children of Israel. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you in who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So, brothers and sisters, this text emphasizes the privileged identity in conjunction with the responsibility that Israel possesses. So we have to say that this is a nation of people. That's why it said a holy nation, a peculiar people. Why? Because the Bible does not yield to any alternative interpretation like this is the church. <laughs> Because what Christians will do is anywhere they see Israel in the New Testament, they'll say, well, yeah, that's actually the church. It's the spiritual Israel. False, brothers and sisters. The Bible does not yield any alternative interpretations. This is a nation of people. Nation is nationality. It's not a country, brothers and sisters. So what are we finding out? We're finding out that the Most High put a burden a responsibility on these specific people to do what? That ye should what, brother? That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So these particular people would have a responsibility that at all times to bring forth praises to the Most High, brothers and sisters, to lead our, our Gentile brethren into the light, into the truth, brothers and sisters. Let us show you. Let's go to Leviticus. 9 and 12, because you see there, it said that you are a royal priesthood. Remember that word priest, brothers and sisters, because there's something that you must know about the priesthood of the Old Testament. 
He said, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Let's deal with that word priesthood and show you what that entails. We're going to go to Leviticus, brothers and sisters. We're going all the way back to the Torah, the ninth chapter, the 12th and 13th verses. Leviticus 9, verse 12. And he slew the burnt offering. And Aaron's sons presented unto him the blood. Who? Aaron's sons presented unto him the blood, which he sprinkled round about upon the altar. And they presented the burnt offering unto him, with the pieces thereof, and the head. And he burnt them upon the altar. And he did wash the, the inwards and the legs. Now, I want you to examine something, brothers and sisters, because the office of the priesthood was limited to the tribe of Levi during this time brothers and sisters so the first priest was actually Aaron it wasn't Moses it was Aaron brothers and sisters that's why I said the sons of Aaron so this is speaking to the priest here could you read that one more time verse 12 verse 12 and he slew the burnt offering and Aaron's sons presented unto him the blood which he sprinkled round about upon the altar. Now, brothers and sisters, only they, only the Levites, who are the modern-day Haitians, only they could approach and present before the Most High. Only they could offer the sacrifice. But there's something critical there. Read 12 one more time, brother, then we'll jump to 18. Verse 12. And he slew the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons presented unto him the blood. They did what? Presented on him the blood. So the priests were responsible for a presentation, brothers and sisters. Follow us to verse 18. Verse 18. He slew also the bullock and the ram for a sacrifice of peace offerings, which was for the people. And Aaron's sons presented on, a, presented on him the blood. They did what? Presented on him the blood. They did what, brother? Presented on him the blood which he sprinkled upon the altar round about. So we're showing you that priests are supposed to present something to the Most High, brothers and sisters. They were responsible for presenting to the Most High, brothers and sisters, in the Old Testament. Now remember, in the New Testament, in Peter, he said you're a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. So there would no longer be one priest, but he would look at all of our people as a priesthood. Now, when you link that with Leviticus, the ninth chapter was showing you that Aaron's sons or the, ch the children of Levi, who would be your priest, they were responsible for presenting before the Most High. So if you're going to be a priesthood, even a Gentile, brothers and sisters, if you want to be a priest unto the Most High, you must present something unto the Most High. Let us show you. Let's go to Leviticus 16. In six, brothers and sisters, because you're learning about priesthood here. Leviticus 16, verse 6. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an anointment for himself. Make an atonement for himself. Make an atonement for himself and for his house. And for who else? And for his house. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord. And, at do, the and do what, brother? And present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. There goes that word again, brothers and sisters. So it's highlighting that priests had the responsibility or obligation of what? Presentation. 
Only those of the priesthood could approach the tabernacle. Brothers and sisters, all non-priests could only offer sacrifices away from the tabernacle, such as Elijah. Brothers and sisters. So only the priests, only the Levites could approach brothers and sisters. And when they did approach, they must present something. Only the priests presented, brothers and sisters. Only the priests presented. Realize that. Remember that. Internalize that, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Leviticus 14 and 11, brother. Just a few chapters pre prior. Leviticus 14, verse 11. Closely examine the language of the text, brothers and sisters, please. And the priest that maketh him clean shall present the man that is to be made clean. Read that one more time, brother. And the priest that maketh him clean shall present the man that is to be made clean. He, he shall do what? Present the man that is to be made clean. Now, here it is, brothers and sisters. The office of the priest is always coupled with the presentation. Always. Brothers and sisters, and we have to understand Hebrew hermeneutics in order to properly comprehend the fundamental principles, excuse me, the fundamental principles of the Bible. Okay? Priests present, brothers and sisters. You will find this throughout the literature, throughout the text, brothers and sisters. All the way from through the entire manuscript, brothers and sisters, you will find what? Priests being connected to presentation. Document that. Internalize that, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Hebrews 8 and 1, brother. We're going to the New Testament now. We're going from the Torah into the New Testament, brothers and sisters. We're going to Hebrews, the 8th chapter, the 1st through the 4th verse. What does that say, brother? Hebrews 8, verse 1. Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest. We have what? Such an high priest. Speaking of Christ. Who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. And minister of the sanctuary. And of the true tabernacle. Which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Read that part again brother. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifice. Every priest is ordained or set apart for this special work, brothers and sisters. Wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. Read that part again, brother. Wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. See, so sacrifice is essential to the concept of priesthood, brothers and sisters. As a priest, we must have something to offer God. I'm speaking to Jews and Gentiles here, even though the text, the, the context was speaking to the Israelites. We have Gentiles out there who want to work for the Most High. Okay, well, listen, if you want to work, know this. Read verse 3 one more time, brother, please. Verse 3, for every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. Continue, brother. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. Now look at this. This is Christ, the high priest, brothers and sisters, in the heavens. He's saying Christ didn't need to be a priest on earth. Why? Because there was already priests. But we wanted to show you that if a man be a priest, he must have some gift in his hands to offer, brothers and sisters. See? So you must have something to offer the king. 
brothers and sisters. You must have something to present to the king, brothers and sisters. Let us show you. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus 35 and 4 because many of us do not know history. We don't know culture. And one thing is for certain in, in ancient culture, brothers and sisters, there's one thing that's for certain. And that's Ecclesiasticus 35 and 4. This is one thing that is for certain. You should know this. Ecclesiasticus 35 verse 4. Thou shalt not appear empty before the Lord. What did that say, brother? Thou shalt not appear empty before the Lord. There are many passages explicitly, brothers and sisters, proving this point. That you don't come before the king empty-handed. Go look at the kings in the Old Testament. Go look at what was going on with Solomon and the Queen of Sheba and all that, brothers and sisters. How they were exchanging gifts and all that, right? Go look at David. How when people came before David, David gave, I mean, David received presents. He, de he, he deserved gifts. Why? Because he was the king. So this was a warning to the men of Israel about not coming before the Lord empty-handed. You must have something to present. Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 4. Thou shalt not appear empty before the Lord. Thou shalt not appear empty before the Most High. So historically speaking, we were never to approach him with nothing. Never. Brothers and sisters. And men should know this. Sisters should know this too, but especially men. Let us show you something though. Let's go to Romans 12 and 1. Let's show you how that applies today, brothers and sisters. Romans, the 12th chapter, the first verse. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. To do what? That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. That you do what, brother? That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So Paul urges us to recognize that the Most High has shown us enormous mercy, brothers and sisters. Paul is making an appeal based on the mercies of God. Listen to his appeal. Could you read that again? Verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Priests must present something. Read that part one more time, brother. That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Present what? Your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Which is what, brother? Your reasonable service. So the only rational response to his mercy is to become a living sacrifice, brothers and sisters. And we previously learned that priests are required to present a sacrifice. Here's the New Testament version of that. No, we do not slaughter animals no more. The Most High said, well, listen, I don't accept animal blood any longer. What I will accept is your service. So if you're truly a priest unto God, you must present something. Gentiles should also do this, but Israel is not optional. It's obligatory. A Gentile have a choice to do whatever they would want to do. Israel has no choice. And guess what? Our negligence to this particular principle led to slave ships. Because you didn't want to we didn't want to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Even though we were the priests of the Most High. So understand that for those of us who want to do what? Who want to serve the Most High. 
who want to work on behalf of the Most High? What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to present? Because many people want the credit without doing enough work. This is where it begins. You present your entire life as a living sacrifice. The Most High is tired of having Sabbath dates with you. Where the only time you spend time with Him is on the Sabbath. He's tired of being hidden away like some side chick. A living sacrifice. That's daily, brothers and sisters. Let's go to 1 Samuel 15 and 22. We're to the Old Testament, brothers and sisters. Please follow us there. 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. And Samuel said, At the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Read that again, brother. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. So the Most High took no pleasure in the animal sacrificial system of the Old Testament, brothers and sisters. You may ask why. Because the sacrifice was indication of the sin that preceded it. You were only sacrificed for sin. <laughs> okay, so if you're sacrificing, that means you've sinned. I really need you to examine that, brothers and sisters. Because he said, present what? Not an animal sacrifice, not a turtle dove. Present your body. Could you read that one more time, brother? Verse 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. So does the Most High, would he rather you, you know, deal with animal sacrifice or obeying his voice? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. So the Most High delights in obedience than, rather than the performance of sacrifice, brothers and sisters. It's the misconduct that supplies the occasion for the sacrifice. The fact we, the fact we want to emphasize is the supremacy of obedience, because here it is. The power of obedience, brothers and sisters. It tells us what? It tells us that it's better to obey than to sacrifice an animal, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus, because now we have to show you how this sacrificing works after Christ. Because why? We no longer sacrifice animals. That now would be considered witchcraft, brothers and sisters. And look, anytime you see the Haitians, what are they doing? Dealing in, you know, uh, voodoo and all this stuff. Why? Because they were actually the priests of the Most High. The same way they did back then, they're doing now. They're just doing it on the evil side today, brothers and sisters. Let us show you now what the sacrifice, sacrificial system looks like. We have to go to the Apographer. We have to go to Ecclesiasticus, brothers and sisters. The 35th chapter, the 1st through the 5th verse. This is the new sacrificial system. Ecclesiasticus 35, verse 1. He that keepeth the law bringeth offerings enough. He bringeth what? Offerings enough. He that taketh heed to the commandment offereth a peace offering. Now we have to learn the sacrificial system of the new covenant. He said those who take heed to the commandment offer a peace offering. He that requiteth a good a good turn offering fine flour. Offereth what, brother? Offereth fine flour. And he that giveth 
alms, sacrifice of praise. So look at this. You giving your finances to the Most High for His work to help somebody, that's a sacrifice of what? Of praise. Verse 3. To depart from wickedness is a thing pleasing to the Lord, and to forsake unrighteousness is a propitiation. Propitiation. So here it is, brothers and sisters. We are at peace with the Most High through our practice of law. You see that? We can only begin the sacrifice subsequent to our alienation from sin, brothers and sisters. Do you see that? He said to depart from wickedness is a thing pleasing unto the Most High. To forsake unrighteousness is a propitiation, which means what? Now we can be joined back to him, brothers and sisters. It's a peace treaty. See? So the peace treaty is in you, un is in you forsaking unrighteousness. Showing you what? The power of obedience, brothers and sisters. Read verse 4, brother. Verse 4. Thou shalt not appear empty before the Lord. Look at that. Examine in the prohibition found in verse 4. Verse 4. Thou shalt not appear empty before the Lord. So look at that. We're prohibited from entering the presence of the king without the proper contribution. He's saying, listen, I don't want you to bring an animal. Read verse 1 through 5 and you'll see what I want you to bring. So we want to be clear because why a Gentile will listen to this and say, yeah, they sacrifice animals. <laughs> See, so they'll, they'll, they'll chop this video up. They'll chop this audio up and play a part, you know, to make it seem like we're dealing with animal sacrifice. We don't sacrifice animals. The only sacrificing we do is when we eat dinner because that's a sacrifice. Why? Because an animal had to die for your nourishment. So every time you eat, it's a sacrifice. But we're showing you here the new covenant, covenant sacrificial system. He talked about giving alms. He talked about departing from wickedness, brothers and sisters. He talked about um, taking heed of his commandments. All of this is a sacrifice for they who want to be considered priests of the Most High, brothers and sisters. Okay? Let's go to James 1 and 22. Follow us to the New Testament, brothers and sisters. James, the first chapter... The 22nd through the 25th verse. James, James 1 verse 22. Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. Doing what, brother? Deceiving your own self. We must receive God's word as doers and not merely hearers, brothers and sisters. Because why? The power of his instruction is only found in its application. Many of our people love to hear the word. They can even recite the word. But then they'll use that same word to say they don't have to follow that same word, brothers and sisters. <laughs> Only a sinner, somebody, you know, on the path to hell would go in the Bible and then use scriptures in the Bible to say you don't have to follow the Bible. Read that one more time, please, brother. James 1 verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. <laughs> brothers, and brothers and sisters, a healthy person observes a mirror to do what? <laughs> to do something, not just admire the image. A healthy person doesn't just look in the mirror for the sake of looking in the mirror. 
when I look in the mirror, I'm trying to make sure my beard is right. There's no toothpaste on my, you know, on my lip. You're actually looking into the mirror for a specific reason. You're not going into the Bible just to hear it. <laughs> You're going into the Bible to do it, to apply it, brothers and sisters. Read that one more time, please. Verse 23. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what, ma what manner of man he was. See? But whoso looking, looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. See? So to hear the word devoid of performance of its application is what? It's worthless, brothers and sisters. Why look if you're not going to act on what you see? That's what the script, that's what James is bringing up. What's the point of even looking if you're not going to deal with the application of what you've seen? We're, we're, today's lesson is the power of obedience, brothers and sisters. So we're going to show you the power that come with submission. We're going to prove the power that come with obedience, brothers and sisters. We're going to go to James, the second chapter, the 17th through the 21st verse, brothers and sisters. Follow us there, please. James 2, verse 17. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. See, because they'll say, well, listen, I'm saved by faith. But what did James say? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead. Being alone. So look at that. James tells us it's not enough to simply believe in God without action. Brothers and sisters, any faith which does not result in good works is a dead faith. Brothers and sisters. Verse 18. A man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Mm. So obedience is the only appropriate evidence of the existence of our faith, brothers and sisters. It says that one brother said, well, listen, yeah, I have faith. He said, well, listen, I'll tell you I have faith in my works. Do what? My works are evidence of my faith. <laughs> because why? Faith is not something you can see. So there must be works in which could be seen to do what? To corroborate your claim of faith, brothers and sisters. This is where I take Christians, right here. See, it's all good. You believe in, you know, Jesus and all this, right? If you believe, if you want to receive his blood, how? <laughs> how how are you receiving his blood? Or are you trampling his blood underfoot? Read that one more time, please, brother. James 2, verse 17. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yeah, a man may say, thou hast faith. And I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. And I will show thee my faith by my works. I'll show my faith by my works. Thou believeth that there is one God. Christians, they, you believe there's God? Thou does well. That's a good thing. The devils also believe and tremble. <laughs> so yeah, you, you say you believe in God. They're like, devils believe in God. They're scared. So, you know, that's not... <laughs> you don't get a pat on the back. You're not, what do you want, a cookie for believing in God? Devils believe in God. Lucifer believe in God. 
Continue, brother. Verse 20. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? The actions prove the truth or falsehood behind the claim belief, brothers and sisters. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? See, he said he proved his faith by his works when he offered up his son Isaac. So he could have just said, yeah, father, I, I believe in you, but I'm not offering up my son. See, this is what Christians do. Yeah, I, you know, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe he knows what's best, but uh, I'm not following any of his laws. <laughs> Continue, brother. Verse 22. Seeth thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. So his faith was made perfect through his works. He had works and faith because Christians, they try to divide it where, you know, where you either have faith or you have works. No, I have both. I'm covered on both sides. We're covered on both sides. Yes, we have faith in the Hamashiach, the Messiah. And we're going to prove that faith by following what Christ did. By, you know, looking at looking into the gospel, seeing how Christ lived his life and then doing that same thing. That's our faith. See? Read verse 26, please, brother. Verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. See, so faith, which does not produce good works, is not a genuine faith, brothers and sisters. Unless obedience accompanies faith, that faith is not genuine. The same way you can have a body, brothers and sisters, without a spirit. Why? Because once your spirit leaves, your body is dead. Right? So when you go to the morgue, those bodies don't have a spirit. It's dead. It says faith without works is also dead. See? They work together, brothers and sisters. You can't separate the two. So we're showing you the power that comes with obedience. See? And I hope Christians are listening, brothers and sisters. I really hope Christians... Listen, if your mom or your dad or brother or sister, you know, is struggling with the law... You play them this recording, brothers and sisters, because we have done a thorough job. The Most High, through His Holy Spirit, have led us to do something very thorough for those who are on the fence about whether the law is good and whether I should do it. Let's find out today, brothers and sisters. Let's go to John. Now, notice all this is New Testament. <laughs> See, we did that on purpose, too. Because why? Christians will make you, make you believe that Israelites only deal with the Old Testament. That in, in the New Testament, you don't have to follow the law. All this, majority of what we've gone into is New Testament. Let's go to John 10 and 37. We're going to the gospel, brothers and sisters. John 10, we'll read verse 37 and 38. John 10, verse 37. If I do not the works of my father... Believe me not. Boom. <laughs> what, what did Christ say? If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works. Do what? Believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Mm. Christ is saying that my actions vouch for my profession. You see that, brothers and sisters? By our fruits, the principles held by men are known. 
Read verse 37 again. It's one of my favorite scriptures. John 10, verse 37. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. He said, if I'm not doing what the Father said, don't believe me. Don't trust me. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works. He said, listen, listen, man. <laughs> you don't have to like me. Like the works. <laughs> you see that, brothers and sisters? That's how we feel. That's how Israelites feel. Listen, listen. You don't need to believe that we're the people. Believe that we're following the law that those people follow. <laughs> he said, don't believe me. Then listen, believe the works, okay? Put your eyes on the works. See, Christians need to get this. Because shall we say you're following Christ because you said so? Yet you're breaking every law in the manuscript? Nah. You know a man by his fruits. Not by the words coming out of his mouth. It's the fruit that is the outward evidence of the inward life. That's Christ. Okay? Brother Joshua, let's go to Colossians. New Testament. We're going to pin this thing down. Colossians, the second chapter, brother. The eighth verse. Colossians 2, verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. To beware is to be aware and informed of danger, brothers and sisters. This is a call to vigilance against alternative doctrines. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. The undistorted truth can only be found within biblical literature. It said, don't let a man spoil you. When you're spoiled, that means what? That means you're no good. <laughs> you're no good to the Most High. You, why? You're spoiled. Through what? Through philosophy. All these philosophers and so-called theologians. Through deceit, brothers and sisters. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men. After what? The tradition of men. Show us Christmas in the Bible, brothers and sisters. Show us the disciples celebrating Christmas. Show us the disciples celebrating Easter. Hmm? Are, are those traditions of men? Continue, brother, because it's going to show you why these traditions of men have carried on. After the rudiments of the world. After money. And not after Christ. See? They, they're celebrating Christmas for money. In Easter, the ch these churches. You know how many times they used to pass the plate around it when, you know... During Christmas, uh, you know, Christmas service, Easter service. People who don't go to church at all come on those days. <laughs> he said, you have to be careful. If it cannot be substantiated through the literature, it must be resisted. Brothers and sisters. He spoke about tradition. Paul was emphasizing that just because an idea is preferred does not make it true. Well, you know, we, we grew up with Christmas. It's, it's for the kids. What scripture is that? What scripture is that? I would have more respect for you to just say, listen, this is what I celebrate because I'm a pagan. Or, you know, or don't try to connect it to Christ, though. <laughs> See, that's where you lose my respect. Because you're trying to connect it to Christ. And you know it's a trance because why? Christians... We'll say, well, uh, we know it's not his birthday, but... And I'm like, and we supposed to sit here and listen to you after that? 
<laughs> we know it's not his birthday, but nah, nah, brother, nah. <laughs> but this is why we're going to act like it is. Nah, brother, nah. See? Christ, Paul, Peter, all the disciples called these theologians out. And these Christians who are learning from these theologians, which our church, we have compassion for the Christians because we know they're like sheep with no shepherd. So it's not necessarily their fault, but it will be if you die in your sin, especially after hearing the truth. Because this is an opportunity to hear the truth, brothers and sisters. Now, if you continue to want to hold to the traditions of men instead of what Paul is saying here, instead of what Christ is saying here, then you will be responsible for that. There will be a judgment for that. Up until this point, the Most High has had grace on you. Why? Because he's equitable. He can't hold you accountable for things you don't know. Not now. He will hold you accountable when you take your last breath, whether you knew or not, because you should have known. Because you claim to follow Christ. So we're here to help you out, brothers and sisters, to show you all the benefits that come with being a pre-Constantine Christian, which means we're the Christians before Constantine. Constantine 321, brothers and sisters, came up with what? The Nicene Creed, where he started to integrate paganism into Christianity 300 years after Christ. That's when Sunday worship came. <laughs> That's when Christmas came, brothers and sisters. Go, go read, go read it, brothers and sisters. Constantine and the Nicene Creed or the Council of Nicaea, brothers and sisters. Go look at that. That's history. Okay. Let's go to Matthew, brothers and sisters. Let's hear Christ. Because guess what? If you won't hear Christ, then I mean, <laughs> you're not going to hear us. We're at Matthew, the fifth chapter. The 17th through the 19th verse. Matthew 5 verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law. What do think not mean, brothers and sisters? It means don't even let it come into your mind. That's what it means. Verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So here it is, brothers and sisters. Here Christ highlights his support for the Mosaic laws. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law. What is he talking about? What is the law? The law is the first five books of the Bible, also known as the Torah. And then he said, the prophets. What is that? That's the Old Testament, the Tanakh, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Nahum, Amos. So he said, I didn't come to destroy the Old Testament. Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 5. Verse 17. Er Matthew 5, verse 17, excuse me. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So compliance to the Mosaic law has not changed because I've come. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Till some of it is fulfilled. Till all be fulfilled. Till 50% of it is fulfilled. Till all be fulfilled. See, so the new covenant did not negate the need for obedience to the Most High God, brothers and sisters. See, and the Christian will stop you right here. See, he fulfilled it. <laughs> See, 
No, he didn't fulfill it. Did the second coming happen? Exactly. So there's things written in the law which Christ has not fulfilled. And that means until there's a, you know, no heaven and earth, no wise shall one jot or tittle, not a scintilla of the law pass or be done away with, brothers and sisters. Next time a person tells you you don't need to follow the Sabbath, you take them to verse 19. Read verse 19, please, brother. Verse 19. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This particular text emphasizes how our keeping of God's laws affect our future position in his kingdom, brothers and sisters. Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 19. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So his phraseology indicates he, he sensed that some thought he was advocating to eradicate the Old Testament law. That's why he said that. So Christ knew that the audience, some people would believe, you know, or some people even 2,000 years later would try to use Christ against the law. They would say, well, listen, Christ came and died so I can eat pork. He actually came so I can celebrate on Sunday. He actually came for Christmas worship in Easter. So that's why Christ said, listen, if you, te if you teach anyone to break these commandments, you are the least in the king, you are the bear. You are the bottom of the barrel. See, so I'm confused at how these Christian pastors can stand in front of you, pass the plate around, take your money, and then tell you you don't have to follow the law. Well, listen, brother, if we don't have to follow the law, don't pass the plate around because tithing was in the law, and it's only written of in the Old Testament. So now <laughs> you pick and choose what laws you want to follow. You want us to follow that law. Tithes and offering. Nowhere in the New Testament. That's in the law. That's in the Old Testament. See? We're going to pull the rug from underneath of these fakes, brothers and sisters. And for, you know, most people that follow our church, they're already following the law. So now we're showing you, brothers and sisters, how to prove the validity of the law to your family members, to your co-workers, to your friends. Brothers and sisters, because predominantly, I believe the people that frequent our channel are already following the law, but they're trying to get their family to follow the law. They're trying to get their spouses to follow the law. They're trying to get their friends to follow the law. And this is what you do. You go show them all the benefits, the power that come with obeying God. Let's go to Matthew, brother, 19 and 16. Let's stick in the New Testament. We're going to read 16 and 17, brother. Matthew 19, <clears throat> Matthew 19, verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why calleth thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, Keep the commandments. Christ tells him he must do something, not just believe, to gain salvation. Brothers and sisters. 
And I mean, it doesn't get any clearer than this. It's coming right out of Christ's mouth. We must not be deficient of the compliance that law requires, brothers and sisters. This is Christ here saying this. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 16, please. Matthew 19, verse 16. And, behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So even he knew he had to do something for eternal life. And he said unto him, Why calleth thou me good? There is none good but one. He said, Don't try to butter me up, son. That is, God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Brothers and sisters, if there's anything that would impede your obedience, eradicate it. Brothers and sisters, let all that call themselves followers of Christ depart from iniquity. Brothers and sisters, Christ said it over and over and over again. And this is in the New Testament, brothers and sisters. We can go to the Old Testament also. We can go to the Apographer also. But we wanted to deal with strictly, you know, for the most part, New Testament. Because we know that Christians believe that the New Testament is different from the Old Testament. Okay? Let's go to Revelations, Brother Joshua. So we're going from Matthew all the way to Revelations to show you the entire New Testament is, is pro promoting adherence to the law, brothers and sisters. Revelations, the 22nd chapter, the 14th verse. We'll read 14 and 15, brother. Revelations 22, verse 14. Blessed are they that do, that do his commandments. Read that again, brother. Blessed are they that do his commandments. I'm covered under grace. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. This verse pronounces a blessing on all who separate from their sins. Brothers and sisters, he said, if you, if you do what? If you adhere to his commandments, you have a right to the tree of life. <laughs> See, now you have legal right. Why? Because you obeyed him, brothers and sisters. And when it says, it says, and may enter in through the gates into the city, what is it talking about? The kingdom, brothers and sisters. The kingdom. He's saying you can enter into the kingdom and you have a right to the tree of life. Why? Because you submitted to me. So only the obedient will be entitled to approach the tree of life, brothers and sisters. I need Christians to really examine this because we went from what? Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament. And we're at Revelations, the 22nd chapter, the 14th and 15th verse, right? The last book in the New Testament. And what is he saying? What is he saying? He's saying that blessed are they who do his commandments. Not know them, but do them. Remember, James said what, brothers and sisters? He said not just hearers of the law, but doers of the law, right? Which one are you, brothers and sisters? Because many of us are going to stand before the Most High on that day, breaking every law in the book, and be shocked, be flabbergasted. When he says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Read that one more time, brother, please. Revelations 22, verse 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments, 
that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. So only the obedient will be entitled to approach this tree of life, brothers and sisters. For without our dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. See, so sinners will not be permitted citizenship into the kingdom. When he's talking about entering through the gates, only citizens enter in through these gates. He said those without access will be sorcerers, whoremongers, murderers, idolaters, those who love lies. Now, all of those are sins, brothers and sisters. All of that is law. So let me get this right. Let us get this right. You don't have to follow no law so a brother can be a cold mass murderer. He can serve any God. We can deal with witches and all this and they're going to make it into the kingdom. <laughs> Access for those who are non-compliant would be and will be unmerited, brothers and sisters. Christianity has turned into some, uh, you know, some Buddhist just be a good person. And I, I mean, it's not what Christ was dealing with. It's not what the disciples were dealing with. They're masking themselves under Christ's name, Christianity, but they're far from Christ. They're enemies of Christ. And brothers and sisters, I grew up as a Christian, brothers and sisters. My family, all of my family grew up as Christians. So we're not trying to excoriate a Christian. We're just trying to show you that you've been mistaken. And it's, it's high time to wake out of sleep, brothers and sisters. Because why? You want to be blessed? You have to follow his commandments. And we wonder why we're unhappy. All the people I know who are depressed don't follow the law. <laughs> I've never met a brother or a sister who followed the law who was depressed. The people who commit suicide, these are people who don't follow the law. Now you would think me following no law and doing what I want to do would make me happy. But the evidence is then. It's not the truth. When we see people depressed, when we see people commit suicide, these are all people who didn't follow the law. So you think about that, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus in the Apocrypha. Ecclesiasticus 19 and 19. Ecclesiasticus 19 verse 19. The knowledge of the commandments of the Lord is the doctrine of life, and they that do things that please him shall receive the fruit of the tree of immortality. Knowledge of his laws without application of those laws is unprofitable. Look at look at the verbiage, brothers and sisters. Could you read that again? Verse 19. The knowledge of the commandments of the Lord is the doctrine of life. The knowledge of the commandments is the doctrine of life. And they that do Things that please him shall receive the fruit of the tree of immortality. And they who hear, and they that do things that please him, shall receive the fruit of the tree of immortality. Make your education valuable, brothers and sisters. Apply what you've learned. Knowledge only has value in its application, brothers and sisters. Okay? It's the action that pleases the Most High God, not the accumulation of knowledge. It's not about how much you know, brothers and sisters. It's about applying what you know. 
brothers and sisters. See, you have a legal right to the fruit from the tree of immortality. If you do what? If you not only know the commandments, but apply the commandments. This earth is under a trance. We're showing you the power of obedience. What's the power? The power is you receive immortality. Nothing more powerful than that. See? Brother Joshua, let's go to Romans. Let's go to Paul. I'm going to go to Romans um, 7 and 12. Follow us to Paul's epistles, brothers and sisters. Romans 7 verse 12. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Read that one more time, brother. Wherefore the law is holy. The law is what? Holy. Holy in its origin. And the commandment holy, and just. And what? And just. It's just in its requirements. And good. And what, brother? And good. Good in its purpose. So look at all this. <laughs> Paul said, listen, the law is holy in its origin. <laughs> it's just in its requirements. And what else? It's good for the purpose in which it was created. Continue, brother. Verse 13. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin. Read that part again, brother. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Read the last part again, brother, please. That sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Look at that. Paul teaches that God's laws give us awareness to indwell in sin. The law makes us aware that we are sinners, brothers and sisters. Our sinfulness is what causes our spiritual death or our separation from the Most High God. That's what he's showing here. He's saying the law made sin appear sinful to me. Because why? Until I knew that pork was unclean, I didn't know anything was wrong with it. Until I knew that the Sabbath was actually God's day, I didn't think anything was wrong with Sunday worship. Until I knew Jeremiah chapter 10 that prohibits Christmas. It prohibits a Christmas tree. I didn't know that Christmas was wrong. See? Read verse 14, brother, please. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Our spirits are housed in a body, and that body is driven by sinful desires. Now, this was Paul. This was Paul here, brothers and sisters, <laughs> who wrote the majority of the Bible, brothers and sisters. And he's saying, listen, I'm carnal. So his awareness of carnality shows the power of the law. How would he know he's carnal? <laughs> because he's measuring himself against the law. That's spiritual. That's just. That's good. That's holy. Because why? Many Christians, they, they come off as if something is evil about following the law. To where if you follow law, you're actually in a cult, brother. Yeah, you're actually in a cult. Oh, you don't, you don't eat pork? Yeah, you're in a cult. Oh, you don't celebrate Christmas? Oh, yeah, yeah, you're definitely in a cult. Hmm. Let's go to Psalms, brothers and sisters. Psalms, the 19th chapter, the 7th through the 11th verse. 
Psalms 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Read that again, brother. The law of the Lord is perfect. Doing what? Converting the soul. Doing what, brother? Converting the soul. God's word goes beyond just intellectual benefit, brothers and sisters. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are, are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eye. So, brothers and sisters, look at all the benefits of the law. Its application has the power to recover man out of his fallen state. So I'm still waiting on a theologian or a Christian or a Catholic or somebody to do what? To do what? To show me what's wrong with God's law. Show me anything in the law. Show me any, any commandment that's wrong. Read verse 7, please, one more time, brother. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul... The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It's what? Pure. Without even the least mixture of error. It's pure, enlightening the eyes. See, so God's laws reveal that which the natural eye cannot discern. Continue. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. Read that again, brother. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. We are reading the advantage of its application by obedience. What did he say? Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. See, so adherence to his instruction gives us the power to properly regulate our lives. He said it's through the law that we're warned of danger, brothers and sisters. It's through the law we're warned of what judgment will be and what, you know, what the Most High will measure. In order to inflict judgment. See? In keeping the law, there's great reward showing you the power. The power of obedience, brothers and sisters. You seeing that? Let's go to Deuteronomy 11 and 26. Going to the Torah. I'm going to read 26 through 28, brother. Deuteronomy 11, verse 26. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A what? A blessing and a curse. A blessing, if ye obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. So compliance is rewarded with supernatural blessings, brothers and sisters. And a curse, if ye will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. Negligence is reciprocated with a curse, brothers and sisters. Read, 20, read it from the top, please, brother. Verse 26. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. He said, I, I have two choices for you. A blessing, if ye obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. 
and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which ye have not known. See, so the text does what it emphasizes a principle of accountability, brothers and sisters. You see that? He's saying, listen, you have two choices here. And guess what? This basic principle is immutable, brothers and sisters. He's saying, if you do what I say, I'll bless you. And if you neglect what I say, there will be a curse that will come subsequent to your disobedience. So our decisions will be the source of our happiness or our sorrow, brothers and sisters. We have to wake up out of this trance, especially the children of Israel, because we're on the bottom right now because of our insubordination. Listen, if a Gentile don't want to follow it, then, hey, I, I wouldn't expect a Gentile to really, you know, be interested in following it. Why? Because they have everything and they haven't been following the law. <laughs> so they got everything while still neglecting the law. For us, it doesn't work like that. We're punished on a higher level to the umpteenth degree. Why? Because to whom much is given, much is required. The law was delivered unto us. We made a covenant with the Most High. The Gentiles did not make a covenant with him. We did. That's why we're on the bottom, brothers and sisters. In fact, let's go to Job 36 and 11. Follow us there, please. Job, the 36th chapter, the 11th. In 12th verse. Job 36 verse 11. If they obey and serve him. They shall spend their days in prosperity. And their years in pleasures. Brothers and sisters. Examine the structure of the text. Because this text. Job is highlighting that service begins with obedience. Read that one more time brother. Verse 11. If they obey and serve him. If what, brother? If they obey and serve him. Showing you the obedience comes first, then the service. They shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. We're reading the destiny of the pious. This is the power of obedience. But if they obey not, they shall perish by the sword and they shall die without knowledge. So throughout the Bible, brothers and sisters, we read the consequences for non-compliance. His righteousness demands these consequences for good or bad. So if you do what's right, the Most High is forced. His faithfulness, His righteousness compels Him to bless you. If you do wrong, His faithfulness compels Him to wear you out. Brothers and sisters. See? So He's telling you. You show out, you get woe out. Period. Let's go to Jeremiah, brother, 7 and 23. We're at Jeremiah, the 7th chapter, the 23rd verse. Jeremiah 7, verse 23. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice. Do what, brother? Obey my voice. Obedience. And I will be your God. And ye shall be my people, and walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. Brothers and sisters, relationships bring responsibility. You can't have a relationship without responsibility. If you get in a relationship, guess what? You have a responsibility to the woman. That woman has a responsibility to the man. 
Guess what? If you have a child, mama and daddy have a responsibility to the child. See? So always remember that relationship brings responsibility. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 24. 23, please. Verse 23. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God. There's the relationship. And ye shall be my people. And walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. See? So, brothers and sisters, as we say, you cannot have a relationship without responsibility. You cannot be a mother and not change diapers. Okay? You cannot be a husband and not know how to provide for a wife and where she's going to live. <laughs> See, brothers and sisters? Relationship brings responsibility. And the Most High said, if you want a relationship with me, you obey me. You don't question me. You don't make up excuses. You obey me. And you shall be my people. Let's go to 1 John, brother. 2 and 3. Follow us, brothers and sisters, to the New Testament. 1 John. Not the Gospel, but 1 John. We'll read 3 through 5. 1 John 2 verse 3. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Oh, oh, remember we said relationship come with responsibility. We're reading the evidence of our acquaintance. Could you read that again, brother? Verse 3. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. If what, brother? If we keep his commandments. This is the testimony of our union with the Most High God. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. He's a what, brother? A liar. He's a what, brother? A liar. And the truth is not in him. Brothers and sisters, notice the order or the structure of the scripture. Read it from the top, brother, please. Verse 3. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments... He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, if we know him, we would imitate the obedience connected with that knowledge. You see that? Continue, brother. And the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. It says, brothers and sisters, verse 4 said you're a straight up liar. <laughs> Why? Because if, if a man knows the Most High, he should therefore be obedient to what he says, right? And then verse 5 said, listen, in order to perfectly love the Most High and abide with him, abide in him, we have to keep his word. See? This is New Testament, brothers and sisters. So I don't care how long somebody been a Christian and, and say, you know, I went to Christian school and I went to seminary college and all this. If they don't follow the law, they do not know God. They know the devil disguised as God. They don't know the most high. This could be mama, dad. This could be my mother. This could be my father. Doesn't matter. The most high said, whoever claims they know the most high, have a relationship with him. Yet don't follow his law is a liar. Period. Brothers and sisters, please follow us to John, the 14th chapter, the 21st verse. John 14, verse 21. 
He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Read that again, brother. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them. And do what? And keepeth them. He it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father. And I will love him. And I will manifest myself to him. Love is the root desire of conforming to the criteria of Christ. Brothers and sisters. See, I really hope Christians are listening. And for those of us, you know, who already know this information, I really hope you're documenting this, brothers and sisters. Because there's going to come a time where the Most High is going to put you in a space in which you're going to have to utilize this information to gain souls. Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him see so application of truth is the proof of love for Christ brothers and sisters he said I only reveal myself and my wisdom to the obedient see it's not that we're all you were just some deep brothers and all that no no the Holy Spirit is revealed to the obedient so before we were obedient we were looking at these same scriptures that you're looking at with no comprehension. He give comprehension to the obedient brothers and sisters. Let's go to the Tanakh. Let's go to the Old Testament. We're going to go to Psalms 111 and 10, brothers and sisters. Psalms 111, verse 10. What's that say, brother? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. See? His praise endureth forever. Remember we said he only reveals himself and his wisdom to the obedient. See, brothers and sisters, we're not just some deep brothers. <laughs> okay? The Most High have endowed us with his wisdom because we're obedient. Because we seek him. Because we fear the Most High. See, those who don't fear the Most High, they're, you know, they're negligent. To seek in the Most High is resulted in what? Having no no biblical understanding, no biblical comprehension. See? So this text highlights the link between godly fear and reverential obedience. Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. All they that what, brother? Do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. See? So those who lack godly fear do not regulate their lives according to his law. See? And I want you to ask your family. You ask these Christians, do you fear God? They're like, what? Fear God? Why would I do that? God is love. See? You don't read the Bible. See? Compliance to instruction is the surest evidence of good understanding, brothers and sisters. The Most High will bless us with spiritual intellect according to our obedience, brothers and sisters. That's in the Word. That's in the Word, brothers and sisters. See? If you want to understand, if you want to be endowed with His wisdom, you have to obey. What's today's lesson? The power of obedience. You're reading it right here. Read the power of obedience again, brother, please. Psalms 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
a good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. Good understanding have all they that do his commandments. He does not reveal himself to, to the insubordinate, to the negligent brothers and sisters. He only reveals his mysteries, his understanding to they who have found obedience. We're going to go to Ecclesiasticus in the Apocrypha, brothers and sisters. Please follow us there. We're going to Ecclesiasticus, the 24th chapter, the 22nd verse. What's that say, brother? Ecclesiasticus 24, verse 22. He that obeyeth me shall never be confounded, and they that work by me shall not do amiss. As we continually strive to obey the commandments given to us, we are promised that we will increase in wisdom, brothers and sisters. Could you read that one more time, brother? Verse 22. He that obeyeth me shall never be confounded, and they that work by me shall not do amiss. See, the Tower of Babel demonstrates how he brings confusion when we make decisions apart from him, brothers and sisters. Obedience does what? It promotes understanding. Disobedience promotes confusion. Brothers and sisters, and guess what? The Most High God is not the author of confusion. Our actions result in confusion. See? Let's go to the first chapter of Ecclesiasticus, the 26th verse. Same book, just a different chapter. Ecclesiasticus 1 verse 26 If thou desire wisdom, keep the commandments, and the Lord shall give her unto thee. The principle emphasized here is that our desires will determine our actions, brothers and sisters. Look at it closely. Could you read that again, brother? Ecclesiasticus 1 verse 26 If thou desire wisdom... If what? If thou desire wisdom... So if you desire... Keep the commandments. Now look at that. The desire dictates thoughts which are connected to our actions. He's telling you that the action gives evidence to what is desired. Read it one more time, brother. If thou desire wisdom, keep the commandments, and the Lord shall give her unto thee. If you desire wisdom, then keep the commandments. This is showing us something. It's showing that our actions are evidence of what our desires are, brothers and sisters. If you desire wisdom, show it by keeping the commandments. So when you see a brother or sister keeping the commandments, you know that the desire is for wisdom. You see that, brothers and sisters? Now notice that it says, the Lord shall give her unto thee. Wisdom, the Holy Spirit, is a her. It's a she. It's a feminine spirit, brothers and sisters. I know that scripture in John 14 and 26 that Christians go to that says, John 14 and 26 reads, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. This is the only place in the Bible where you can find he for the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. And it's the Greek number 1426, brothers and sisters. And when you look at that, the word is akinos. And the breakdown is that one. So the definition of that he right there in John 14 and 26, it says that one. It doesn't denote gender. It doesn't denote, you know, one way or another. So they purposely translated that to he when it didn't say he in the Greek. Go, go look it up. 
Because why, brothers and sisters, we study on a scholarly level. We don't just look at what's there and that's it. We looked at that word he in the Greek, which is Greek 1426. The word is a kinos. Read the definition. It's that one. So why would they put he there? Because they're dealing with homosexuality, brothers and sisters. And they could only, they needed you to believe the Holy Spirit was a he in order to make you believe that the Holy Spirit got Mary pregnant. If you knew that the Holy Spirit was actually a feminine spirit, then that theology would not work. So they had a reason for why they lied. Do the research, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Baruch, brother, in the, in the, uh, in the Apocrypha. We're going to the book of Baruch. The third chapter, the eighth, uh, the eighth through the thirteenth verse. Baruch three verse eight. Behold, we are yet this day in our captivity, where thou hast scattered us, for a reproach and a curse, and to be subject to payments, according to all the iniquities of our fathers, which departed from the Lord our God. So here it is. We're in captivity at this time, brothers and sisters. For reproach and for a curse, subject to taxes and payments. Why? Because of the sins of our forefathers who departed from the Most High. Continue. Here, Israel. Who is he speaking to? Israel. The commandments of life give ear to understand wisdom. How happeneth Israel? How did it happen, Israel? That thou art in thine enemy's land, that thou art waxed old in a stranger's in a strange country. How did you end up in the Americas? How did you end up in Babylon? That thou art defiled with the dead. That thou art continued. That thou art counted with them that go down into the grave. Thou hast forsaken the fountain of wisdom. We did what? Thou hast forsaken the fountain of wisdom. For if thou hadst walked in the way of God, thou shouldst have dwelt in peace forever. Mm. Brothers and sisters, examine that closely because when we choose to disobey God's ways, one of the pathologies of sin is a lack of peace. See? The white man, see, this is why we don't blame the white man. Because the white man is not strong enough to do anything unless God give him the power. Read 13 one more time, brother. Verse 13 For if thou hadst walked in the way of God, thou shouldst have dwelt. Thou shouldst have dwelt in peace forever. How long, brother? Forever. See, we would have dwelt in peace no matter what, whoever had a problem with us. They wouldn't have been able to do anything. When we embrace God's ways, one of the byproducts of obedience is the blessing of peace. In reality, the formula for peace is simple. Not easy, but rather simple. So we're showing you the power of obedience is what, brother? Read that one more time. Verse 13, For if thou hadst walked in the way of God, thou shouldst have dwelt in peace forever. See, so protection, you get protection through obedience. See? Let's show you. Brother Joshua, go to Exodus 30, uh, excuse me, Exodus 23 and 22. Exodus 23 verse 22. To prove that obedience will bring forth protection. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice, and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies, 
and an adversary on a thine adversary. See? So the blessing of our protection is conditional, brothers and sisters. See? The text emphasizes the contingencies that come with the covenant. Read that one more time, please. Verse 22. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemy. I will be an enemy unto thine enemy. Moses understood the key to obtain the Most High's protection is obedience. And an adversary unto thine adversary. See, so your obedience is your protection, brothers and sisters. This principle is reflected in the Constitution. You're protected as long as we operate within the parameters of the Constitution, right, brothers and sisters? So you have certain rights that you're afforded as long as you don't break any laws, right? Now, if you break laws, what happens? Click, click. Slammer. <laughs> See? You're protected as long as you operate within the parameters of that Constitution. Well, guess what? The Most High has a Constitution. And you're protected as long as you operate within it. Let's go to 1st John, Brother Joshua. The third chapter, the 22nd verse. 1st John. We want to leave no stone unturned. Because why? We really want our people, not just Israelites, Gentiles. We really want you to see the beauty in the gospel, brothers and sisters. And you cannot do that as long as you continue to neglect his law. We love you. And therefore, we lay down our life to bring you this word. So you're able to open your eyes, pull the veil off. And see what's always been there, brothers and sisters. This is what love looks like. Read verse 22, please, brother. Verse 22. First John 3, verse 22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. Why? Because we keep his commandments. We're reading the power of obedience. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So according to the 22nd verse in the 3rd chapter of 1 John, effective prayer is based on obedience, brothers and sisters. Just as a parent is disposed to bestow favors on an obedient child. You see that? Further proof of the power of obedience. Let's read that one more time. Verse 22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Two. So the prayer-obedience relationship is emphasized all throughout the literature, brothers and sisters. You see how many times in the New Testament it's saying follow his laws, statutes, and commandments. I'm like, are you, do Christians read the Bible at all? <laughs> the word commandment is in the Bible over 700 times. <laughs> 700 times, brothers and sisters. <laughs> Let's go to Psalms 37 and 4, brother. What's that say? Psalms 37, verse 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Read that again. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Look at that. Seeking happiness in him will regulate our desires. 
brothers and sisters, is more than just the obedience. It's delightful obedience. You see that? Read that one more time. Verse 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. See? So, according to this text, attitude determines altitude, brothers and sisters. He said, delight thyself in obedience, and he'll give you the pleasures of your heart, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, <clears throat> we will now present three examples of the power of obedience. We're going to start in the gospel. Luke, the fifth chapter, the first through the seventh verse. I need you to listen closely, brothers and sisters, the power of obedience. Luke 5, verse 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennes. Ganester, and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them, and were washing their nets. So here they are, <clears throat> brothers and sisters. They're near a lake. There's two ships, but the fishermen—they're pretty much done. They're washing their nets, brothers and sisters. Verse three, and he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out. A little from the land. So here it is. He's telling Peter. He's telling Simon. Listen. Uh, you know. Let's go out. I want you to throw out your net. Continue. And he sat down. And taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking. He said unto Simon. So what did he do? He said okay. We're going to use your boat. Take your boat off the docks. Back it on up. So everyone there can see. So he got in the boats. They're, they're done fishing you know for the moment he's christ gets in his boat and say okay let's back up a little bit so everyone on the shores can listen read three one more time brother verse three <clears throat> and he entered into one of the ships which was simon's and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship he's teaching out of this boat now now when he had left speaking he said on a simon launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night. So they had just been done. They said they were washing their nets. That's what they do when they're finished. So Peter's Simon is saying, we've been out here all night. <laughs> we've caught nothing. Could you read that again? And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. That word, nevertheless, is it's a beautiful word, brothers and sisters. Nevertheless, nevertheless. Even when Christ, go look at Christ's words when he said, Father, can you take this cup from me? Nevertheless, your will be done. <laughs> that nevertheless right there means, even if I don't get what I'm petitioning you for, I'm going to submit. Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 5. And Simon, and Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night, and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the, the net. Christ, I've been out here all night. I've caught nothing, but I got you. I'm going to throw it out. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net break. Read that again, brother. And when they had done this, and when they had this done... They enclosed a great multitude of fishes, 
and their net break. Brothers and sisters, obedience activates God's power. The Most High's power is unleashed and activated when we're willing to show our obedience. So here it was. He's been out there for hours. A master fisherman out there for hours caught nothing. Christ said, okay, throw it on this side. <laughs> and there were so many fish, the net was breaking. Continue. Verse 7. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. See? So look <clears> at that. Look at that, brothers and sisters. Depending upon the Most High God and obeying Him is a formula for success. Never underestimate the power of obedience because here it was. That's the difference between doing something on your own and doing it with permission. <laughs> you see that? Fish in the same place, you know, fishing. Right? He was doing it on his own without the Most High's or without Christ's direction. Christ gave him direction. There were so many fish. The fish are jumping out of the net. The net is snapping. It's breaking. He had to go get his comrades to say, hey, listen, we need to put some in your boat. To the boat begin to sink. There were so many fish. Now, guess what? That was because of the obedience. Let us show you another example. Let's go to 2 Kings 5 and 1. We're going to the Old Testament. We're going to Naaman. We're going to 2 Kings 5, 1 through 3, and then we'll jump to 9 through 15. 2 Kings 5, verse 1. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria. So this brother <clears throat> Naaman was a commander-in-chief of the Syrian army. Was a great man with his master, and honorable, because they him, the Lord, had given deliverance on Assyria. He was also a mighty man in valor. But he was a leper. He was what? A leper. So here it was. He was a man who was respected, who was feared. Yet he had something that made him feel insufficient. Brothers and sisters. So Naaman's leprosy was an enemy to his happiness. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And said unto her mistress, What God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him from his leprosy. So he had a <clears throat> servant. His wife had a servant. And this young girl said, There's a prophet in Samaria who can heal you, that can recover you from this leprosy. Because why? He was struggling with something internally, brothers and sisters, while everyone else respected him. Right? They feared him. In his own house, he was... He was dealing with the spirit of heaviness and sorrow because it was a shame to be a leper, especially amongst Israel, brothers and sisters. Lepers couldn't even come in. They couldn't even congregate, brothers and sisters, unless they were a clean leper, which means fully white. But if they had spots and all that, they couldn't even come into the temple, brothers and sisters, because you can't be amongst the Most High's presence. So they couldn't do a lot of things based on this leprosy, brothers and sisters. Jump to verse 9, brother, please. We're going to read 9 through 15. 2 Kings 5, verse 9. Now, remember, she said that there's a prophet in Samaria named Elisha who can help you out. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. 
And Elisha sent a messenger unto him. Elisha did what? Sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall become again to thee. Now, here it is, brothers and sisters. See, the Mosai, he, he constructed this like this purposely. What did Elisha do? And Elisha sent a messenger unto him. Right there. This was not the way he was accustomed to being treated. Where you sent, you sent a messenger out to speak to him. You didn't even come out. <laughs> Saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away, and said, Behold, I thought, he will surely come out to me, and stand, and call on the name of the Lord his God. And strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. See, so Naaman was, because he was the captain of an army and he was respected amongst all these other people. You know, Elisha was like, listen, I'm going to send my messenger out there. Go find the Jordan River. Dip in that river seven times. You'll be healed. Naaman was, listen, his pride was hurt, brothers and sisters. His pride was hurt that here it was. He was the captain of a Syrian army. And here it is, you have this poor prophet who refuses to speak with him face to face. Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 11. But Naaman was wroth and went away. And he and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me. See, I thought he would come and speak. And stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Continue. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus. So he's saying these other rivers. Better than all the waters of Israel. He's saying these rivers are clean. Why? Because the Jordan was not a clean river, brothers and sisters. So he's saying, well, listen, man. Look at all these other rivers with fresh water. Why not dip there? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Because here it is. It's his pride. His pride kept him from accepting what was available. He's like, I'm a captain. I'm a, you know, captain of the Syrian army. You're going to tell me to find the dirtiest water in Israel and dip in it? At least send me to the clean water. See what's going on here, brothers and sisters? Continue. Verse 13. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father... If the prophet had bid thee to do to do some great things, if what? If the prophet had bid thee to do some great things, so if he asked you to do something miraculous, wouldst thou not have done it? Wouldn't you have done it? How much rather then, when he said to thee, wash and be clean? See, so he's saying if it was something great and grander, you would have done it. But he told you to listen. Just go dip yourself in this dirty water. You'll be cleansed. Continue, brother. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So he dipped seven times in the Jordan River. He humbled himself and dipped like Elisha told him, and he became clean. Verse 15, And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came, and stood before him, and said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. Now therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. 
Naaman found out the power is in the obedience to God's commands, brothers and sisters. See, strict obedience, because he could have went and dipped in another river, but that's not what Elisha said. He gave you straight instructions to do something specific, and we have to learn that. We have to stop trying to provide the Most High what we want to provide him, brothers and sisters, like Christians. And say, well, listen, as long as I give him a day, what scripture is that? When did he say as long as you give him a day? He said, give him the Sabbath. I always well, listen, I worship God every day. You're deflecting. Stop. Stop. Because you know you don't. You know that the, the Sabbath means you can't work. It means you can't spend money. You're not doing that every day. In fact, you're not even doing that on Sunday. Because as soon as you leave church, you go into the, the, the chicken shack right after that. So don't act, you know. <laughs> he gave Naaman strict instructions. And when he did exactly that, he learned the power of obedience. The answers to our problems are found in simple obedience to the Most High God. Brothers and sisters, as long as Naaman stayed in his pride, he would not and could not receive what God wanted to give him. See, the Most High knew he had pride. That's why he sent him to the dirtiest river. He said, humble yourself. Obey me, humble yourself and be cleansed, young man. Showing you the power of obedience to cleanse a leper. Why? Because sickness comes from sin. And we have many uh, lessons proving that. Most sicknesses, over 95% are coming from iniquity, from sin, brothers and sisters. Let's give you another example. Let's go to Jericho, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Joshua chapter 6, verse 1 through 20. We're going to read this. The story of Jericho, when the walls came down. Let's read it all the way through, brothers and sisters, through 20. Joshua 6, verse 1. <clears throat> now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, what? I have given unto thine hand Jericho. One second, brother, one second. Read that again. Joshua 6 verse 1. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. Now look at this, brothers and sisters. The Most High is telling Joshua, I have delivered this land into your hand. Before the deliverance actually was evident. <laughs> See, that's that's the thing about the Most High. He told Abraham, walk as far as you can. And when you get there, that's your land. He doesn't care who's in the land. He don't care who owned the land. He don't care about none of that. Why? Because he's the king. And the king have the right to delegate anything and everything. That's within his territory. And the earth is the Most High's territory. So he said, listen, Joshua, I have given... The Jericho into your hand. Continue, brother. Verse 3. And ye shall come past the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. So he's giving them strict instructions on how to take this city. Thus shalt thou do six days. So he said you need to go, all the men, 
circled the city once for six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horn. So you have to have seven priests with what? Presenting themselves with ram's horn. That's a shofar. In the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times. On that seventh day you go around seven times. And the priest shall blow with the trumpets. Are you seeing this, brothers and sisters? You're learning that the battle of Jericho called for what? Strict obedience to the Most High God. He, he's giving straight instructions. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 4. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. In the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times. And the priest shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass... That when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend upon every man straight before him. So he said, on that seventh day, you're going you're gonna to go around seven times, and then all the people will shout with a mighty voice, and the city walls will fall down. Continue, brother. And Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said unto them. Now, brothers and sisters, I really need you to examine this because there's a direct correlation between our obedience to him and the fulfillment of many things in our lives. And we're getting ready to learn that. We're getting ready to learn. I need you to really examine his instant response. After Joshua took in the instructions, what did he do, brother? Verse 6. Verse 6. And Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said unto them. Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. See, so immediately after receiving the instruction, he did what he was instructed to do. He didn't think about it. He, he just went and did it. And he said unto the people, Pass on, and can pass the city, and let him that is armed pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And it came to pass, when Joshua had spoken unto the people, that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord, and blew with the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests that blew with the trumpets, and the re-reward re came after the ark, the priests going on, and blowing with the trumpets. And Joshua had commanded the people, What did he say? Saying, Ye shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice, Neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout. Now, look at this, brothers and sisters, because here it was. We were to keep quiet for those six days. We were to keep quiet until a specific time, brothers and sisters. And then, all at once, the shout. So we had to be on code here. The children of Israel had to all be amalgamated. They had to be monolithic, brothers and sisters. They, they needed to be unified in order for this. Continue, brother. Then shall ye all. <clears throat> then shall ye shout. Excuse me. Verse 11. So the ark of the Lord compassed the city, going about at once. And they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning. And the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually, and blew with the trumpets, and the armed men went before them. But the re-reward came after the ark of the Lord, 
the priest going on and blowing with the trumpet. So here it is. They're repeating. There's the repetition of what the Most High said do. And the second day they compassed the city once. How many times? And the second day they compassed the city once. One time. And returned into the camp. So they did six days. So they did this six days, brothers and sisters. For six days they walked one time, brothers and sisters. Are you seeing this? Which scripture are you at, brother? Verse, Verse 14. 14. Okay. Go on. Verse 14. And the second day they compassed the city once and returned into the camp. So they did six days. They did six days. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawn of the day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. Only what? Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. See that, brothers and sisters? Prompt obedience also. Not only just promptness, but strict obedience, brothers and sisters. So what do we see? We saw that right in verse 6, Joshua's prompt obedience was what the Most High was looking for. And now you're seeing what? Persistent obedience, where they had to do this six days, and then on the seventh day, Walk around seven times. Continue. Verse 16. And it came to pass on the seventh time, when the priest blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, What did he say? Shout. For the Lord hath given you the city, and the city shall be accursed, even it, and all that are therein to the Lord. The whole city and everything in it is cursed. Only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messenger that we sent. Continue. And ye, in any wise, keep yourselves <clears throat> from the cursed thing. So he's saying everything in there, the whole thing is unclean. Do not partake in any of the spoil, the gold, the silver. It's cursed. Verse 18. And ye, in any wise, keep yourselves from that accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed. When you take of the accursed thing, and make the camp of Israel a curse, and trouble it. But all the silver, and gold, and vessels of brass and iron, are consecrated unto the Lord. Unto who? Unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. All of that belongs to the Most High. All of it. So the people shouted when the priests, the priests blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass. When the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. They did what? They took the city. Brothers and sisters, Jericho teaches us that obedience is not an option. Obedience is the way the godly person responds to God. Here it was our people on code, each and every one of us. Strict obedience which got us into the land of Israel. This is how it began, brothers and sisters. See? We're showing you the power of obedience, the power of not only prompt obedience, but persistent obedience. We're showing you the power of unification, of amalgamation for our people. You see that, brothers and sisters? That's the power of obedience. We're going to go to 2nd Ezra 6 and 38. These are going to be our last scriptures, brothers and sisters. 
the power of obedience. Second Ezra's chapter 6, verse 38. We're going to read verse 38, verse 40, verse 42, verse 45, and then 47 through 48. Brothers and sisters. Second Ezra's 6, verse 38. And I said, O Lord, thou spakest from the beginning of the, cre of the creation, even the first day, and said it thus, Let heaven and earth be made, and thy word was a perfect work. So this is speaking of creation, that he spoke at the beginning of creation. He said, Let the heavens and earth be made, and the word was perfected. Continue, jump to verse 40, brother. Verse 40. Then commandest thou a fair light to come forth of thy treasures, that thy work might appear. Now he called for a light. So there can be illumination. Jump to verse 42, brother. Verse 42. Upon the third day thou didst command that the waters should be gathered in the seventh part of the earth. Read that again, brother. Upon the third day thou didst command that the water should be gathered in the seventh part of the earth. He commanded the waters. Six parts hast thou dried up, and kept them, and to the intent that of these some being planted of God, and tilled might serve thee. Listen closely, brothers and sisters. He commanded the waters. Jump to verse 45, brother. Verse 45. Upon the fourth day thou commanded commanded us that the sun should shine. So listen, he's showing you that he gave commandments to the water, he gave commandments to the light, he gave commandments to the sun and moon. And the moon give her light, and the stars should be in order. Jump to verse 47 through 48. Upon the fifth day thou settest on the seventh part, where the waters were gathered, that it should bring forth living creatures, fowls and fishes, and so it came to pass. Listen to this next scripture. For the dumb water and without life brought forth living things at the commandment of God. At what? At the commandment of God. At what, brother? The commandment of God, that all people might praise thy wondrous works. Brothers and sisters, only through obedience can we fulfill the purpose in which we were created. It said the water was dumb without life. It had to obey. The water obeyed. The earth obeyed, the sun obeyed, the moon obeyed. See that, brothers and sisters? You cannot fulfill your purpose without obedience. And this was just creation. To show you, man is not the only one with commandments, man and woman. We just read chapter 6 of 2nd Ezra. All these commandments that the Most High was given just to the earth. And it showed you that for the dumb water, <laughs> the water was dumb until it had a commandment. It had no purpose. You see that? Same way we are. Without a purpose, without a clear sense of direction, we are dumb. We are simple. We just wanted to show you that everything operates on obedience, not just man and woman. The entire earth is operating on obedience. In regards to, you know, the things that were created, the animals and the sun, the water, the most high put a line, you know, where the water couldn't go any further on the shore. So the waters can't even go past a certain part at the beach. Why? Because there's a commandment. 
There's a distance that we are away from the sun to where we don't get burned up. That's a commandment. <laughs> See? So, brothers and sisters, we wanted to show you that only through obedience can we fulfill the purpose in which we were created. All of the things we just read that were created during the days of creation, had they not had they not acquiesced to the commandments, they would have never fulfilled their purpose, brothers and sisters. So we really need you to examine that. Today's lesson is the power of obedience, brothers and sisters. We went into a litany of texts, of scriptures, brothers and sisters, that did what? That showed the power of obedience, the benefits of obedience. And we pulled away every false way, every false doctrine that would lead our people into disobedience. Today's lesson, the power of obedience. We want to say, Kwam Yashrala. Kwam Yashrala. Sin no more. Sin no more.